Americans have, have been told uh, that they have to follow these rules. And clearly, in this case, uh, the family chose not to. An American family is caught, fined, and kicked out of Canada for breaking quarantine rules. Plus... This puts a face to it, makes it real. A 72-year-old patient speaks out from her hospital bed about her COVID-19 experience. And... It's really nerve-wracking because no one really knows, like, what's going on. Back to school is even worse for this year for kids who suffer from anxiety. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. For much of the afternoon, traffic was at a standstill on the Sea to Sky Highway between Squamish and Whistler due to a serious crash. Highway 99 near Daisy Lake, north of Garibaldi, had been closed in both directions since about noon. Emergency Health Services says six people have been rushed to hospital. Two of them are in serious condition. One airlifted to hospital. One person stuck in traffic also needed medical assistance and was rushed to hospital. The route has since reopened to single-lane alternating traffic, but motorists are warned of ongoing delays. A terrifying incident today in a Surrey neighborhood when the driver of a motorhome lost control and slammed through a fence, crushed a parked vehicle and ended up inside a house. It happened just before 3 o'clock in the Guilford area at 140th Street and 116th Avenue. No one was in the house at the time. Investigators will try to determine if a mechanical issue was to blame. Surrey RCMP the, say the home has to be inspected before the RV can be removed. The driver had to be extricated from the motorhome. RCMP says their injuries were not serious. It's a law designed to prevent COVID-19 from spreading north across the U.S. border, and it's being enforced. B.C. Mounties say they have dealt with nearly 10 cases where they've escorted visitors out of Canada under the Quarantine Act. And that includes an American family caught vacationing in Vancouver this past week. The family of five had a vehicle with Alaska license plates. They're supposed to take the most direct route through B.C. to Washington State with a minimum of stops. But they were spotted in the downtown core on August 29th by a Canada Border Services agent employee. What gave them away was the lanyard hanging off their rearview mirror. That lanyard is supposed to be presented at the border. It indicates how long travelers need to be in the country. Vancouver police and the RCMP were called, and the family was slapped with four $500 fines before being escorted to the U.S. border and out of the country. Americans have, have been told uh, that they have to follow these rules, and clearly in this case, uh, the family chose not to. Uh, and as a result, uh, they faced the consequences and had to pay a penalty uh, and, in, in, and were, you know, sent back uh, to, the, to the U.S. Uh, and in the same way that uh, people uh, who want to, you know, disobey the provincial health officer orders, uh, they may well find themselves getting fined. Another U.S. boater has been busted for entering Canadian waters, violating pandemic restrictions. RCMP and Border Services tracked an American vessel off Euclid on Monday after receiving an alert from the Coast Guard. The boaters were turned back after failing to report to border officials. They were fined $2,000 for violating the Quarantine Act. 
In July, two U.S. vessels, a whale-watching boat and a pleasure craft, were fined after they were caught violating the non-essential travel ban in B.C. waters. Police are cracking down on more illicit house parties, too. West Vancouver police say they shut down a party held at a home in the British properties last Friday. When officers arrived at around 11 o'clock, they found between two to 300 people at one residence. The partygoers scattered, making it hard for officers to find the organizer. One person, identified as a promoter, was fined $230. Police also had to break up a fight that left one person injured. Throughout the week, health officials release BC data, facts and stats indicating the state of our pandemic. Right now, 31 British Columbians are in hospital with COVID-19. One of them is Kathy Gibbs of Langley. Today, she spoke to us from her hospital bed. She wants to put a face to those numbers so that we all take them and the virus seriously. Julia Foy has her story. And I got to phone you an ambulance, so. It was tough. Edmonton resident Tammy Gibbs is still in shock after her 72-year-old mom, Kathy, who lives in Langley, caught COVID-19 in mid-August. She started getting to where she was actually hallucinating. She couldn't tell the difference between a dream and what happened. Kathy received daily phone calls from Fraser Health, but due to quarantine restrictions, no one was allowed to visit her, including former boss, MLA Mary Pollock. There's something missing in the process when you're in a circumstance where I can't drop by, right? She's quarantined. So even her friends can't physically go check on her. When her daughter sensed Kathy was suffering from confusion and exhaustion, she called 911 in Alberta. They sent a BC ambulance to her rescue. They put the paddles on, I believe, just to have them ready. They were concerned she was going to have a heart attack. Yeah, I kept getting weaker and weaker. Kathy had pneumonia and was moved into ICU. I developed a cough, uh, quite a severe dry cough, and I lost my sense of taste, and uh, I had very severe nausea. But even while in hospital, Kathy decided to speak out about her disease. This puts a face to it, makes it real, and hopefully people will pay more attention. Kathy wants to send a message to people who've been ignoring the COVID rules. You know, you're young. You want to get on with your life. You want to live your life. I get that. But I said, just because I'm old doesn't mean I want to die. Do you get that? Tammy is holding on to hope that her mom will get through this. She's a fighter, so she's gotten out of the ICU. I'm positive she's going to pull out. Julia Foy, Global News. In just five days, many B.C. students will return to class for the start of a school year like no other in history. The provincial government has tried to reassure families, teachers and staff that everything is being done to mitigate the health risks. But as Nadia Stewart tells us, the uncertainty of what's ahead is only adding to the anxieties of those already dealing with mental health issues. It's really nerve-wracking because no one really knows like what's going on. With just days to go before the first day of classes, Justine Harris-Owen says the uncertainty around what this school year holds as they're feeling anxious. I don't think there is a solution that they can implement that's going to be, you know, good enough. Um, 
at this time and with what we know. By September 10th, most of BC's elementary, middle and high school students will have returned to school. They'll be divided into learning groups. Staggered entry, exit, lunch and recess times will help maintain physical distancing. Depending on the district, a mix of in-class and remote learning options are available. When students or children come to school, they're not just bringing themselves. They're bringing their families with them. They're bringing their experiences with them. Clinical psychologist Pierre Faubert says teachers are dealing with an invisible enemy. And it's the anxiety surrounding what could happen that's making this such a trying time for everyone. He's encouraging teachers to make space for kids' feelings to surface. Allow for some kind of moment in the classroom where the students can maybe share a little bit about how they're feeling. And uh, that way there'll be a, a sense of community and uh, a sense of, of uh, belonging. Dr. Bonnie Henry has acknowledged the uncharted territory school districts are navigating. It's gradations of risk, and that's what uh, I know that the teachers and schools are out there looking at how they can make that work. But Harris Owen worries it could be a while before everything is sorted out. I'm definitely trying to be optimistic, like, like cross my fingers that everything will be good and everyone can safely go back to school and, you know, the support systems will be there for, like, both mental health and physical health. But, you know, I do have to, I have been thinking about, like, what, what if, you know? On the days she'll be in class, Harris Owen says she'll wear a mask. Nadia Stork, Global News. Victoria police are once again warning the public after dozens of dirty needles were found in Beacon Hill Park. Some 40 syringes were found by staff in a garbage can at the public park, which has been the site of a homeless encampment for months. Half of the needles were uncapped and one was found buried in the dirt with its plunger withdrawn. Police believe it was intentionally placed there to cause harm. This past summer, a man was jabbed by a needle in Beacon Hill and another used needle was found taped to a handrail. Abbotsford police have issued a public alert to help find a high-risk sex offender who's gone missing. 54-year-old Sean Michael Jerome is wanted for breaching a long-term supervision order. His crimes have been committed against women he's been in relationships with. He is described as 5 foot 10, 186 pounds with short dark hair. If you know of his whereabouts, please contact police or call 911. The suspect in a hit and run that killed a BC mother of 4 3 years ago has pleaded guilty to some of the charges he's facing. 41-year-old Anthony Creed Cortez has pleaded guilty to one count of dangerous driving causing death and one count of motor vehicle theft. 35-year-old Danielle Charlton died in September of 2017 when the SUV she was a passenger in collided with a maintenance truck on Highway 3 about 10 kilometers east of Hope. Cortez is accused of fleeing the scene in a truck stolen from a good Samaritan who had stopped to help. He will appear in court later this month. The drunk driver who killed an RCMP officer nearly in Vic near Victoria four years ago is not allowed to return to Vancouver Island. Parole board documents show Mounties and Corrections Canada oppose allowing Kenneth Fenton to return to the community upon his scheduled release next March because of the potential negative and violent consequences he could face. Fenton had a blood alcohol level of three times the legal limit when he ran a red light in Langford in 2016, broadsiding the cruiser driven by Constable Sarah Beckett. A month later, he drove drunk again. Fenton is serving four years in prison and was granted day parole last year. 
In the South Okanagan, firefighters are battling a new wildfire in the backcountry. The fire is just southwest of Penticton, about 15 kilometers down Green Mountain Road. The 1.5-hectare fire was discovered on Friday, located in extremely steep terrain. There are homes about five kilometers away, but they are not threatened. The B.C. Wildfire Service says there are no flames visible from the road, but it's producing plenty of smoke. The massive Evans Canyon wildfire in south-central Washington state has burned 70,000 acres and destroyed at least six homes. And its smoke is drifting across the border into B.C. At just 10 percent contained, the fire has forced more than 900 people to evacuate. Officials say it is now the largest and top priority wildfire in all of Washington and Oregon. Officials say it's likely that the fire was human-caused. As tourism winds down in many parts of B.C., the West Coast is preparing for a surge in visitors from other parts of the country this fall. Its beaches and backroads were trashed by a few scofflaws this summer, and now Tofino is partnering with its neighbour to remind tourists to respect their backyard. Kristen Robinson reports. Wow. What first hit Tofino's beaches, also hanging over back roads near Euclulet. A flood of visitors with seemingly no respect for others, setting up camp for free, the environment picking up the cost. It's just craziness out there right now. This was the scene on a logging road outside of town in August. Lifelong Euclulet resident Alexis Van Hoot disgusted with what she saw. Just cars everywhere. There's campfires on the side of the road. Um, it's just... It was it was shocking, really. I've never seen something like that before. There's uh, large parties, large settings. There's almost borderline raves. With limited policing resources and First Nations patrols, the chaos is hard to control. It's frustrating for us as residents and as the elected officials because we have no jurisdiction over those back roads, but we know what's going on. The province knows what's going on. Forest Service knows what's going on. And there's still yet no visible enforcement. With more campers expected through the fall, the resort community is making it clear. Overnight camping is not allowed on public property. The Show Your Love for the West Coast campaign, urging visitors to make reservations and respect the land and its history. It's built on thousands of years of stewarding by Tolokwit and other Nachalmuth First Nations that peoples that have been here before us. If you, if you think you're going to go uh, grab your tent and uh, find a little chunk of land here that's uh, that's not legal, um, we're all going to have a problem with it. I would never personally go into someone else's um, town and just do something like that. It just shocks me. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver's largest competitive swim club says a huge increase in pool fees may prevent them from diving back in this fall. The Canadian Dolphin Swim Club has been the Aquatic Centre's anchor tenant for more than 45 years. Going forward, the nonprofit says its 350 members will be on the hook for the costs of three lifeguards and one maintenance person. That will increase each swimmer's rental costs from 85 cents an hour to between four and six dollars an hour. They'll also be limited to three swimmers per lane under phase two guidelines, even though the province is in phase three. Three swimmers per lane pr prohibits us from returning to the pool for any length of time. 
according to Phase 3, VS4 and SwimBC guidelines, we should be able to fit up to a maximum of 10 swimmers per lane. In practicality, even pre-COVID, we never had, we had an, on average between five to eight swimmers. So the Phase 3 guidelines gives us more than what we were we were implementing before anyway. In a response that did not address phase two versus phase three rules, the park board told Global News that COVID-19 protocols prevent private clubs from sharing the pool with public swimmers, and they will have to pick up the lifeguard costs during their bookings. We're learning more tonight about that mass shooting in Oshawa, Ontario. Three children and their father shot dead, their mother in hospital in serious condition with non-life-threatening injuries. Police say they were all shot by a family member. Morgan Campbell has more. They gathered with flowers in hand to mourn the loss of friends, neighbors and teammates killed in a mass shooting in Oshawa Friday morning. It's a tough thing. You know, it's something you never dream you have to tell your kid of what happened. Killing four family members and wounding another is, is just, it's unacceptable, it's unbelievable. Chris Trainer and three of his four children were shot dead in their home. The mother, Loretta, survived. She is being treated in hospital. The couple's other child wasn't home at the time. I just know that things won't be the same for her and I'm going to pray for every night and just hope that she knows she has my thoughts. Police say the gunman was 48-year-old Mitchell Lapa from Winnipeg. They say he arrived to the trainer home in his truck uninvited. Global News has learned that he is the estranged brother of Loretta and there was a family dispute over a will. In Winnipeg, police have been searching the apartments where Lapa lived. To think that you could just go and do that, it's like, uh, I, there's no words to describe that. It's just terrifying. Police haven't revealed any new information regarding the investigation. Friends say the family played a large role in the community. Chris was a baseball and hockey coach, as well as a teacher at an Oshawa high school. It's just about sticking together and baseball family's big, sporting community's big. I mean, the teaching community is big. They would have sleepovers for the girls. Their home was the most welcoming place you could go. They treated everybody like part of the family. As this makeshift memorial grows, so does a community's grief over what happened Friday. It's a senseless tragedy that has left many with more questions than answers. The city of Oshawa is honoring the family by lowering all flags at city-owned buildings. Morgan Campbell, Global News. America's COVID-19 death rate is fast approaching 190,000 people with more than 6.2 million confirmed cases. At least seven states are seeing new spikes. And this week, more colleges across the U.S. were forced to close after outbreaks overwhelmed student dorms. But as Jennifer Johnson reports, top experts say students should not be sent home. Across the country, high hopes for a normal college school year are being dashed within days of opening. This week, students were sent home from a handful of universities, including SUNY in central New York and Temple University in Philadelphia. Officials say COVID-19 is spreading out of control in some dorms, despite months of preparations and precautions. It was kind of a general consensus between my family and I that, like, I'm going home. Officials are concerned students have been violating policies, banning parties, contributing to COVID spread. Several students caught gathering in a hotel room, doubling as a dorm room to keep kids spread apart at Northeastern University in Boston were suspended. Well, within a week of getting here, they broke the rules and 
as the consequences. At some schools, the virus positivity rates are reaching dangerous levels, 27% at the University of South Carolina, 29% at Iowa State. And if you're kicked out, tuition at most schools is non-refundable. My parents would probably would have killed me. But medical experts say students testing positive need to stay put to prevent further infections in more vulnerable populations. We are not recommending that they send an infected college student home because what you're then doing is you're getting an infected person and putting them back in the community to spread infections. On this Labor Day holiday weekend, health officials are warning people not to let virus prevention steps take a holiday. The U.S. saw a 22% increase in COVID-19 cases after Memorial Day and another spike after Independence Day weekend. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. India's COVID cases crossed the 4 million mark today. The country now leads the world in new infections. With a population of nearly 1.5 billion people, India's massive caseload isn't surprising experts. But despite the skyrocketing numbers, the country is pressing ahead with its reopening plans, with rail service in cities resuming on Monday. More than a dozen people were arrested in Melbourne, Australia, after hundreds gathered to protest COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. More than 150 fines were also issued to those defying nearly five weeks of new lockdowns, which shut large parts of the economy. The measures required everyone to stay home except for essential workers. A nighttime curfew has also been imposed. Police said it was disappointing that some 200 people put everyone else's lives at risk. Protests and counter-protests in Louisville, Kentucky today. A pro-gun, pro-police rally took place at a park earlier in the day. The group marched to downtown where they came in contact with protesters demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. There were some tense exchanges between the groups. Police were present at one point forming a barrier to separate two groups, but things appeared to remain fairly peaceful. Many feel the running of the 146th Kentucky Derby should have been canceled in light of the unrest, but it went ahead with some changes. With the stands mostly empty, the state song My Old Kentucky Home played, but without lyrics. The song was also preceded by a moment of silence and reflection. My Old Kentucky Home has long been scrutinized because of its lyrics and its connection to slavery. Until the 1980s, the lyrics for the song, which is about a slave who wants to return to Kentucky after being sold away, included a racial slur. In Health Matters, new research suggests e-cigarettes are not effective in helping adult smokers quit. A study from the University of California looked at people who quit smoking for a year. Two separate analyses of that research found no difference between the percentage of those who used e-cigarettes to quit and those who did not. But more research is needed to identify if the findings also extend to new e-cigarette designs, which may deliver nicotine as effectively as cigarettes. Smoking of any kind is also linked to higher risk of severe COVID-19. Well, that's one way to cool down. One man's record-breaking feet that might give you the chills. We'll have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, it was actually chillier than what we expected today. <laughs> 
Yes, and it is going to improve. We've been advertising a change on the way, and the heat is on. I'll show you more on your long-range forecast in just a moment. A quick glance at what it looks like out there. We've had some rain cloud through the day today. We'll have more cloud cover once again for Sunday morning. And a bit of haze uh, out there. Local smoke in the area for a few spots, especially for the southeastern corners of the province. And I'll have more coming up in just a moment. Highs today, especially closer to the water, into the low 20s. But it heated up. It was hot for the interior. Highs up to 35 degrees for areas near Trail and many spots in the Okanagan Valley into the low 30s. Now we are still looking at a bit of instability across the province and that's for the northern half. Rain continues, another wave works its way in. It'll be unsettled for the central interior once again and a few lightning stripes popping up for the northeastern corners of the province at this hour. So future cast as we put it into play, we are looking at those unsettled conditions, another wave of rain, it moves in across the central interior, chance of showers on and off through the day, but anything towards the south of it, especially for the southern interior, it is going to remain dry. Now here's a quick glance at what we're seeing though. A special weather statement has been issued. We've been advertising the heat, but we do have a heads up for all areas in grey, so that's much of the southern half of the province. We do have gusty outflow winds that are going to develop on Monday, and the potential is there to see wind gusts of anywhere between 16 up to 70 kilometres per hour. So that's possible on Monday. A heads up, we're looking at very windy conditions, especially for those who are near the water. Now, jet stream, big weather story is the heat. Ridge of high pressure continues to build in. It'll strengthen over the next few days. We'll round off the weekend with hot conditions and even warmer as we get in midweek across the south coast and likely seeing the peak of the heat Wednesday, Thursday from most areas and towards the southern interior. We can see that with the temperature trends. So many spots away from the water could get into the low 30s. It's going to be hot come Wednesday, Thursday, and that'll time out for back to school for some and for the southeastern corners of the province. It'll likely peak as we get in towards the end of the week and leading into the weekend. Now, the northern half of the province for tomorrow, rain, heavy at times, a cooler day with temperatures sitting at 16 degrees. Much of the central interior will see on and off showers. It remains unsettled. Temperatures will be at 15 degrees. And then towards the south of it, we are looking at some sunshine once again. We are going to see hazy conditions, especially for the southeastern corners of the province. Lots of local smoke in the area. So once again, please be very diligent with your campfires and disposing of your cigarette butts because the fire danger rating is at high to extreme. South coast, so a heads up, overnight we do have some fog developing. We'll see cloud cover for the morning hours. It'll be a gray start to our morning, a clearing on the way, and it'll be reversed to what we saw today. We're actually going to get more sun than cloud. It'll heat up, especially away from the water, feeling closer to 29 degrees. A reminder, Monday, very windy conditions and plenty of sunshine for the next five days. Colleen? Okay, holding you to it. I'm holding you to it. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> okay, this, this weekend is the unofficial end of summer, but this winter likely won't get as cold as it did for one man in Melk, Austria today. Have a look. An extreme athlete broke his own world record, spending more than two and a half hours submerged in ice. Wearing nothing but swim trunks, Joseph Kobrel climbed inside a custom-made cabinet, which was then filled with ice cubes. It took more than 200 kilos of ice to fill it up. Beating last year's record by 20 minutes, he said he drew on positive emotions to fight through the pain. He recovered from his ice bath by eating an ice cream cone. Just what I'd do. Just what I'd do. <laughs> Gotta fight ice with ice, right? <laughs> it's probably warmer than the last two hours to have that yes, ice cream yeah. somehow. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, we're, all kinda, 
we're all kind of feeling the chill, Barry, after last night's game. Yeah, it's uh, sad to see the Canuck run come to an end. I mean, they, they gave it everything they had, and the fact that they hung in there that long was amazing. So uh, we'll hear from the uh, Canucks after uh, losing Game 7 to Vegas, but the news is, is great on some other fronts. In men's tennis, Bashik Pas, Basile, and uh, Felix Ojealiasim, both into the fourth round at the U.S. Open. Highlights of that, and good news for the Raptors. They're back. After that amazing uh, last-second win in Game 3, they won again today, so Excellent. lots of good news. Too. Okay, thanks. The fall semester begins on Tuesday, and for the first time in its history, Thompson Rivers University is facing a shortfall. And as Chad Clausen of CJFC News reports, international students not coming to Kamloops this fall is having a big financial impact. When students return to the TRU campus next week, it'll be noticeably quieter. The university says enrollment is down 9% overall, both domestic and international students, resulting in more lost revenue and a $9 million shortfall. The drop in international students is a big blow, a 30% decrease over last school year. It's huge. Um, from a financial impact, it's, it's about $20 million to the, to the institution, so it's, uh, it's significant. And, uh, of course, without a lot of first-year international students being able to get to campus, uh, that certainly changes the, the dynamic of, of, our, of our student population. Milovic says the university also lost revenue from conferences this summer. It all contributed to the deficit. And to offset some of the losses, TRU has gone ahead with 80 layoffs. We're uncertain about what else the administration is doing. Lois Rugg, the president of QP Local 4879, the union representing support staff at TRU, acknowledges the university is doing what it can during tough times. But she says QP members are feeling most of the impact. Um, we do know that there's other things like programs being cut, potentially some faculty not being hired back. Now, during a normal fiscal year, universities across B.C. cannot run a deficit, but the province is making an exception because of COVID-19. However, it is stopping short of saying it'll help universities cover their financial shortfalls. The Minister of Advanced Education, Melanie Mark, was not available for an interview with CFJC News, but the ministry in a statement says, quote, Posting a deficit budget does not mean government automatically pays more money to the institution, nor does it mean that an institution is at risk of closing. Many institutions have an accumulated surplus from prior years that they may use to balance their current fiscal situation. Meantime, TRU says it'll use some of its surplus from previous years to balance the books for this school year. Chad Klassen, CFJC News. The pandemic has been a roller coaster ride for many, if not most people. But a grandfather and grandson in Rhode Island teamed up to create the real thing right in their backyard. And this is it. A one-way roller coaster that now sits on Dr. Fred Silverblatt's property. It was built by his 20-year-old grandson, Elliot, who's studying to be a civil engineer. It really started when I was, like eight or nine years old and I always wanted to build a roller coaster. He did everything all himself. It was the, that's, the, that's the amazing thing about it. Ryan and his grandfather worked nearly every day since April to create their homemade thrill ride. When Ryan put the finishing touches on his creation a couple of weeks ago, Grandpa Silverblatt was the first to test it out. More exciting than I anticipated. It was crazy. I was a little nervous. I knew it was going to be fun for him and fun for everyone to watch him do it. It was a hard-fought and intense battle, but the Vancouver Canucks have been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Jay Theodore with the shot, scores! The BC Nation!
Yeah, the Golden Knights now advancing to the Western Conference Final where they will play the Dallas Stars. But here's what Canuck Nation had to say about it all. I'm disappointed, but hey, they did it. They had a good run. They had a good run, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing them next year. Because yeah. I think they're going to be even better next year. I really do. Were you following the Canucks at all? Uh, yeah, I was until last night. I kind of figured, you know, usually they get your hopes up. So I didn't bother watching the game. What do you think they were lacking? My experience. A little bit more experience and, you know, a couple more guys there to get more shots on that for sure. I don't know, Bear. I think they can hold their heads high. Oh, it's amazing. It's hard to I'm sure the Vegas Golden Knight players are having nightmares about uh, trying to beat uh, Thatcher Demko. And by no, the way, kidding. Ryan Reeves did get a one-game suspension for that headshot on Tyler Mott. That just released today. But we're going to get to the Canucks in a moment. It takes some impressive work to knock the Canucks off the top of the sports right now. But Vancouver's Fashik Pospisil is writing himself quite the story at the U.S. Open in New York. Fresh off his four-set win over Milos Raonic Thursday, Vashik showed even more heart and skill today, knocking off the eighth seed Roberto Bautista Agut of Spain, advancing into the fourth round of the Open for the first time in his career. Vashik playing his best tennis, healthy and hungry for success, had never beaten Bautista Agut in three previous meetings, opening set on serve until... Vashik breaks Batista Agut at love, smashes the forehand winner to take the set 7-5, much to the delight of his coach, Frank Dancevic. Vashik dropped the next two sets, was having an issue with his quad, got some treatment early fourth set, and that seemed to turn his fortunes. He digs in late in that fourth set. Check out this clean return. Backhand winner down the line, gets the break, goes up 5-3, and then he will finish the job. Big serve. Bigger forehand winner takes the fourth set, 6-3. So we go to number five. Vasha keeps applying the pressure. Batista Agut is the guy with the reputation for wearing down his opponent. Well, Vasha gave it back to him and more today. Brilliant point construction. Drop shot winner gets the break, goes up 2-1. Later in the set, Pospisil does it again. Another break, another fantastic drop shot. Not many combine the uh, soft hands that net and the power game that Vashik has, but he's such a good doubles player. Up 5-2 now, now to match point, and he finishes things in style, getting a little help from the net cord, but another winner, a tremendous performance. Three hours, 40 minutes to beat Roberto Bautista Agut in five sets. So Vashik off to the U.S. Open fourth round for the first time in his career. Play to win, play to, to go, go for the win and no doubts and you know, no regrets. If you, if you make it, you make it. If you don't, uh, at least you went for it. And that's just the mentality that I had all the way through, all the way through the end. And today it worked out, you know, and uh, I played great and I'm thrilled to be in the fourth round. Meanwhile, fellow Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime taking on Frenchman Corentin Moutet in his third-round match. This was all Felix. Won the first set 6-1. And then check out this piece of brilliance. Chasing the down the lob. Hits the between-the-legs shot. Moutet pops up the volley. Felix chases it down. What a point to showcase this young man's incredible athleticism. Took the second set 6-love. And then he crushes the second serve return here to go up a break in the third. Later in the set... Felix showing that awesome foot speed again. Somehow chases this down. Mute gets cute with the return. Felix makes him pay. And Ojay Aliasim wins in straight sets. Three Canadian men into the round of 16 at the U.S. Open for the first time ever. Denis Shapovalov is also through. 
Two things come to mind from the last few days of the Canucks season. Does Thatcher Demko's out-of-his-mind performance affect the way the Canucks pursue re-signing Jacob Markstrom? Because if Vancouver had just a bit more depth on their third and fourth lines, they could have pulled this series out. And going forward, more depth makes them a very dangerous team. But they emptied the tank. And had Brock Besser not been robbed by Robin Leonard, would they be preparing for Game 1 of the West Final? Either way, it was amazing hockey, fun to watch, and exciting to think what is ahead for this young, talented group. Fires lead feed in a good one. Bo Horvat has Besser in front. Oh, did you see that? Save the game and maybe out the playoff for Robin Leonard of Brock Besser. I mean, I've learned a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's been a heck of a year. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, and I couldn't be prouder of our guys the way they handled themselves um, on and off the ice. Um, you know, with our play, you know, I thought you know we played we played a lot of good hockey, and obviously they, they have a really good team over there, and we took them to seven games, and we should we shouldn't hang our heads. We should learn from it. We're going to learn from it, and we already all said it in the room already that we already can't wait to get back next year and prove ourselves again. Obviously, my first time playing in the playoffs, and um, you know, it was a little bit of an unexpected um, situation for me. I wasn't sure if I was going to be going in, and um, you know, I just wanted to be ready. And you know, it's a huge, huge amount of experience. You know, uh, playing a good team like that, playing in elimination games, um, you know, high pressure games. That's that's uh, those are experiences that are invaluable for for young guys like me. So, um, like Paul said, you know, I, I'm a part of this and. I'm, I'm really excited to get back and, and make a push next year. Well, we'll sit at the end of the year and talk about our team. And, you know, you're always looking to improve your group. Uh, teams that win cups look to improve their team the next year. And, um, you know, as an organization, we're, we're going to keep pushing until we get to that level where, you know, ultimately we, we want to win a Stanley Cup. And, and that's that's our goal. All right, NHL tonight, Game 7, Flyers and Islanders. Winner gets Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Final. First period, I'll score first. Scott Mayfield walks in, and that's a great shot. Picks the corner on Carter Hart. one nothing Islanders. Mayfield's first playoff goal in his young career. Four minutes later, another defenseman, the veteran Andy Green, played all his years with the Devils, traded the Islanders at the deadline and gets a huge goal there. 2-0 New York. Second period, Isles on the attack. Josh Bailey to Brock Nelson, fires it in. It's now 3-0 Islanders midway through the third. It looks like they will go on to meet Tampa in the East Final. The Whitecaps have just kicked off at an empty BC place versus Toronto FC. Whitecaps have lost their last three by lopsided margins, so they're hoping for something positive. We'll have highlights tonight at 11. NBA playoffs, Game 4, Raptors, Celtics. Toronto coming off that improbable last-second win in Game 3 when OG Ananobi hit that three-pointer at the buzzer. OG in the first. Another three-pointer. A lot of time on the clock for that one. 31-27 after one. First time they've left after the first quarter in this series. Late in the half, Fred Van Vliet misses the three, but they push it back, gets another chance, and this time steady Freddie knocks it down. 49 all at the half. Second half, wraps on the run. They're so much better in transition offense than the half-court set. Siakam with a pretty finish from Kyle Lowry. Siakam much better tonight at 23. Back to Ananobi. Look at that. Some serious hops there to get the offensive board and put back. Raps also much better from distance tonight. Fred Van Vliet knocks down the three. They're 15th of the game. 
and uh, wraps by eight after three. And in the fourth, Kyle Lowry in the middle of everything, defensively and offensively, finds Serge Ibaka. Ibaka had 18 off the bench and more from Lowry. Inbounds it, gets it back, nails the three, 22 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists for the Raps leader as Toronto evens things up at two apiece after the 100-93 win. Second round of the Tour Championship from Atlanta, top 30 in the FedEx Cup playoff. Big mover today, South Korean Sung Jae Im stuffs his approach here at 16, led to one of his seven birdies on the day, a 6-under 64, and Sung Jae Im is in second place at 12-under par. Dustin Johnson had the co-lead after this day, up and down round, his best highlight, this 43-footer. It'll chip in birdie on eight. Johnson leads by a shot over Im with 36 holes today ago. Mackenzie Hughes, the only Canadian in the field, tied 24th at one under. UFC fight night from Vegas, the uh, Cole train. Cole Smith out of Squamish, taking on American Hunter Azure. Bantamweight 135-pound matchup in the first. Smith gets caught with a left-right combination and goes down. Lost the first couple of rounds, but had a strong third. Had a chance to finish with a choke, but couldn't quite pull it off. The Coltrane Smith loses by unanimous decision. His record drops to 7-2. and two. Well, usually the Kentucky Derby is running the first Saturday in May, but as we all know, there is nothing usual about 2020. But unlike some sports, thoroughbred racing has at least saved its marquee event, and the Derby ran today at Churchill Downs. Vintage and John Velasquez have the lead as they come down to the 16th ball. Cheers to wow. still trying to get him. Authentic. Cheers to Here's the buyer. Authentic has won the Kentucky Derby. Two minutes, 0.61 seconds was the final time for Authentic. Bob Bedford has done it for the sixth time. And Blue Jays are playing right now 6-5. They're down in the seventh. We'll update that at 11 as well. Here's a question for us all. What do you do when the pandemic sidelines your annual lemonade stand fundraiser? Well, a pair of young entrepreneurs in Burnaby decided to take their good cause online. First of all, I'm a nurse and um, I worked at Children's and uh, Elijah and Josh have been doing this for a long time. They can grab uh, iced tea, uh, Welch's, Freezies or water. Customers could drive by or dial in to take part in Josh and Elijah Clark's virtual lemonade stand. The brothers were accepting donations over Zoom or in person all afternoon. As in the case, as is the case every year, all of the funds raised will go towards supporting the NICU at both Children's Hospital and Royal Columbian Hospital. The cause is close to the Clark family's hearts since both departments cared for Elijah. 12 years ago when he was born prematurely. Because like, not everyone has a chance to come home, so we could donate to try to help them. They just come in and they'll like say how much they'll donate and then we'll donate. And then we'll write it down. <laughs> they're very cute. Mm-hmm. So and their dad, Jeff, used to play for the Whitecaps, so he's always giving back, so great to see. Nice kids. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11 o'clock. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night.